Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. Another week, another wild ride in the world of travel. So which airlines will come back? Which planes? 
which airports. Aviation consultant and one of our regulars, Mike Boyd, tells us who's going to fly and who won't. Are you still waiting for your ticket refund from a flight that was canceled? What's the current legal status? Attorney Nicholas Colson, who filed 12 of 38 class action lawsuits against a number of airlines, has the answers. And you might not like them. And batting third, a report on the dreaded middle seat. Which airlines are blocking them? Which are selling them? And in the end, does it really matter? Gary Leff from ViewFromTheWing.com weighs in. First up, Mike Boyd. I was talking about this crazy story that gets crazier by the day about Pakistan International Airlines, PIA, and the terrible crash back on May 22nd in Karachi. I mean, think about this. The controller is on the radio with the pilot, and he tells him way far out that, guys, you're way too high for the approach. You're never going to make it. And the pilot responds saying, I'm not worried. And he gets a little closer, and the controller says, you're not hearing me. You're way too high. Get down. Not, no, not, it's okay. No problem. Well, of course, he then just starts, starts this amazing descent to try to get down fast, which means he's going way too fast to land. And in the process, this crew not only didn't level off for the, for the landing, they never even lowered the landing gear. And he starts bouncing down the runway on his engines and then takes off again and then crashes. Terrible. 97 people killed. But here's the craziest part of the story. During the investigation, of course, they recovered the black boxes, both the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder, so they have all this on tape. And what did they also learn, as they would in any investigation? The pilots had fake credentials. They weren't even pilots. Not only those pilots, but one-third of the entire pilot rank of PIA were phonies, and they're flying planes. Unbelievable. So what a bet! What better segue to bring on our 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 always on the mark aviation consultant and regular on the show, Mr. Mike Boyd out of Colorado. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Thanks for the intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, who was watching the store? One third of the entire pilot population of PIA fakes. It's just amazing how that that can get out of control, and that's not a minor thing. And that's something where you shut the airline down, because if they're, they're, they're fudging pilot records, they're fudging maintenance records. They're probably fudging payroll records, too. Who cares? But, you know, this is an airline that should not be, uh, these people should not be anywhere near an airplane going forward. It, it shouldn't be a temporary grounding. It should be a permanent one. And, by the way, uh, the European Union wasted no time. Uh, three days ago, they now banned PIA for the next six months from any EU country. And interestingly enough about the European Union, which the FAA does not share with us, but the European Union has a huge list, which is available to the public, of every airline they think that is so screwed up, they won't let them land in Europe. That should tell you something, right? Well, the the FAA has a list too, which they won't share with us. Because they're worried about reciprocity, about foreign countries not letting our airlines land there, which I think is a total joke when you when you understand the economic impact of airlift. Yeah, yeah I think one of the, the challenges we have here, the EU is several countries. We're one. So with several countries, you got to be a little more open. You can't play you can't play close close vest there. So that's that's good. But I I don't think six months is enough. I think it should be just permanent. Anything to do with that airline has to go away. I, 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 w- I wouldn't get on it. I wouldn't want it landing at my airport in England. It might kill somebody. Which it just did in Karachi. I got it. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but uh, speaking of banning those airports or those airplanes or those airlines, uh, a lot of airlines are slowly starting to come back, aren't they? 
Yeah, I think it, uh, it slowly might not even affect it. American Airlines said they're going to add 25,000 more flights. We just looked at, like, as it stands today, at this moment, and it will change. But in August, Denver International will be up to about 95% of where it was a year ago. Now, that's going to change as they cancel close in, but that still means this economy is coming back, people want to get the hell out of the house, and people are starting to fly, and it is leisure traffic that's leading the parade. Yes, it is not business travel, and I think you and I would be in agreement that we're not going to see a big spike in business travel until next year. Yeah, I think it's going to come back with the economy, but one thing has changed. We've all learned this with this COVID thing, and we've learned it here in our office. We don't have to take as many trips. We've, we have done more, you know, uh, what do you call it, Zoom and whatnot and Microsoft meeting and all that. It's great. I can get the same thing done sitting here as I can by filling up my suitcase, going to the airport, proving I'm not a terrorist, getting on an airplane, getting off at the other end and coming back. I can do it all from the conference room. All and right, that's going to change, I think. But i got to ask you the big bad question, since we're both road warriors. Are you telling me you, you don't miss it? No, uh, my last root canal I don't think much of either. So no, I, I don't really miss it, uh, to be blunt with you. Um, you know, it's, look, you know, I grew up in this business, and, you know, when I was a kid it was just elegant and fun and all that, you know. But now it's, it's mass transit. It's a hassle to go through. Uh, and it's just not fun anymore. When you have to go, you have to go. And that's not pejorative. That's just the, the way the system has been built. Yep. Okay. I got to tell you, I miss it. I miss it. Now, do I miss airline food? No. Do I miss airport food? No. Do I miss lines at TSA? No. But I still get a thrill out of getting on a plane and going somewhere. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, but, you know, it's it's still a hassle. And what we're finding out is, like I've, I've said, there's, there's markets across the country. We found, like, you know, say, Albany, Boston used to have 40,000 people a year. There's, there's nobody there. We don't have to travel as much as we used to. And now with this, what we've learned from this COVID thing, there's going to be less travel. So our projection is we're going to come back but within about 12% of what it would have been before the CITES, and that will be the new normal. So what does that do to the basic economic model of how airports operate, how airlines operate, how hotels operate, when everything gets changed radically and, and, you're, and, you know, and your prediction is correct? What happens? Domestically, it's incremental. Uh, I mean, it, it's not it, Omaha, Nebraska is not going to miss a beat. But if you're in JFK or if you're at at San Francisco, like I've, I've said before, you know, traffic between here and China will be literally about ten percent of what it was, and it's not going to grow very fast. On top of that, so there's going to be a hit there. International traffic out of JFK, it'll get hit. Port of, Port of New York and New Jersey Authority, they're going to get hit financially. But domestically, for the U.S. carriers or the U.S. airports. It's not going to be that big a bang. Although there are a lot of airports that service has already been dropped. The DOT has allowed airlines to do that. Uh, airports like Oakland and Providence and, and Madison, Wisconsin and Flint, Michigan. How do they survive? Well, that's, you bring up a good point when you mention like, like Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan grew very rapidly 25 years ago because it was hard to get to Detroit and you had a lot of economic growth coming up the I, uh, I-75 corridor. That's already petered out, if you will. So being a metro peripheral airport that grew because it was hard to get to the big airport, like Flint, like Akron, Canton, like Manchester, they're going to have to find a new model. They're not going to go back to the, the kind of air service they had before because 
people can easily get to Boston now, and a lot of low fare services Boston from New Hampshire. They they get, they have a lot more options at Boston than at the local airport at Manchester. Not that Manchester is in any trouble. It's just not going to be the growth area it was 25 years ago. So those people running those airports are going to have a huge economic challenge because they have no revenue at this point. Yeah, yeah that 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 is huge. There's no the revenue thing's hitting everybody. But even when this thing gets back to normal, their approach to to air service and their approach to the airlines is going to be have to have to be pretty much totally different than it was before because like in the case of Akron no one's driving down the highway to Akron like they did when Continental had an expensive hub at, at Cleveland that's gone people are going up the highway from Akron to Cleveland to take advantage of the service there these are changes we were going to have anyway they've just been massively accelerated but let, let me throw out an, another another loony loony idea here that we see happening because of this covid thing airlines are changing their fleets more rapidly than they would have and that's going to accelerate our projection to see international or at least across the pond service in places like Albany and Indianapolis and Columbus and Grand Rapids. So there's some good to this mess because it's accelerated that process. But I remember, you know, coming into Chicago to change planes to go to any one of 40 different destinations in the Midwest of, that are distances of under 300 miles. That could be Madison, Wisconsin. It could be Springfield, Illinois. It could be you know, Iowa, Indiana, uh, that's going to change, isn't it? A little bit. That, that feed they're still going to need. A Madison, they're going to need the feed from Madison. It's a, a vibrant place. Springfield, Illinois, they're going to need that. You know, about about six months ago, you know, topic A on this show was the scandal, if you will, around the initial certification and the problems about recertifying the Boeing 737 MAX. And I said... Uh, I did this actually at your conference last year in Las Vegas, Mike. Mm-hmm. I made a bet with a, with a number of pilots um, saying, this plane is not going to get certified in 2019. They'll be lucky if it gets certified by 2021. And we're aiming in that direction right now. Uh, there are more than you know, 750 of these planes parked uh, around the world. Uh, airlines are still canceling orders for them. Uh, Norwegian just canceled a big order with them this week. And yet the head of the the FAA, a pilot named Steve Dixon, who was a Delta Airlines pilot before he became the head of the agency, basically said, I'm going to fly the recertification flight myself, and we're going to make sure this plane gets in the air. Well, that's starting to happen now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's happening at a very strange time. And here's the market they're getting into. Right now today, that's basically a 737-800 with new motors and a bigger wing and whatnot. Uh, but right now, today, you have over 2,000, 2,400 737-800s, earlier model, parked. And about 400 of them are almost brand new. You know, about half of them are over 10 years old. But that's going to be the competition for this airplane. Because if fuel prices stay low, what do I need to spend $100 million for an airplane when I can get a used one that does pretty much the same thing at $50 million? So I think Boeing's going to have a hard time building back up that the, the lost orders. They still got a bunch of them on the books, but they got a lot of competition out there called used ones. Yeah, and 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 the market is glutted. It, it, and we don't need it. I mean, it's like I said. I mean, we're we're we haven't seen the end of it in China, which would they're going to have to start reparking. Uh, in the U.S., we got plenty of airplanes. How they're just swiping them out out for maintenance right now. So it's going to be. A, a while before that demand comes back 
for net new airplanes. And it's going to affect Airbus to some degree, but it's really going to be the, the, the max that's going to get hit. Because, like you said, there are 700 of them parked today. Those that came off the production line and those that were flying in were parked. That's a lot of airplanes to have to digest. Yeah, and then, of course, that brings you up to my other favorite topic, the A380. Every airline has used COVID-19 as an excuse, with one exception, to get rid of the A380, to either ground them temporarily, which means they're going to get grounded permanently, or to ground them permanently. Uh, Name the airline, Air France, Lufthansa, uh, Qantas, uh, British Air. It, It keeps going. And the only airline that's continuing to fly them with any substantial number is the one that ordered them all with substantial numbers, and that's Emirates. And and they've got over 100 of them, and now they've got a problem because there's no secondhand market for them. If you ground the plane, it's not because somebody wants to buy it. Uh, No, and all the components on it, the engines on it, no other airplane uses those engines. So where do you go with that? So they're scrapping them. But, you know, I mean, we were one of two or three consulting firms that said way back when, this thing ain't going to fly. And I got some very nasty comments from, from Airbus, and we've since become friends. And, you know, the, the real message here is not the parking of the A380, but how well Airbus as a company has gotten through this. I mean, they admit that this didn't work. They've gone to other airplane, airplane models, airplane platforms, and they're living through it. They're not, they're not crying over it. So it really shows the vibrancy of Airbus going forward. But overall, the airplane's a dog under, under 5,000 miles, which means you can't really use a transatlantic. That's why BA didn't use a transatlantic. So there's not a lot of places you can land with the, the thing, except maybe the boneyard. Or people forget who the original launch customers were of this plane. You know who it was? Yeah. But, well, Singapore was one, wasn't Nope. Nope. Uh, who? Nope. Talk to me. FedEx and UPS. That's and, right. Uh, Air and, Cargo. Right. And when Airbus was late in delivering the original planes, both FedEx and UPS walked away from the deal and said, you know what? We'll come back and pick them up later on the ground in the desert. Uh, they are a cargo plane, and nobody knows that. And so what is Lufthansa doing? They just retired one of their A380s. They're converting it to a cargo plane. I, I think that'll be pro tem. There just aren't enough of them out there you know, to make a whole lot of sense. And one thing, too, there is something, and uh, again, it's very often having a huge airplane for cargo doesn't work as well as smaller airplanes in terms of flexibility and moving things and all that. So I, I, I don't see a future of any of those airplanes popping into any major air cargo operations. So what you're basically expensive. saying is, what you're basically saying is, go to, a, go to an airport near you and visit the A380 restaurant. Well, exactly. And look, those airplanes will be serving us for a year, but mo- years, but mostly as containers for adult, adult beverages. They're not going to be airplanes. <laughs> so, so the future really is going to either be the A350 or the Dreamliner. Yeah, and I, I think there's another thing there. That, that bubble is starting to, you know, the, the initial bubble for those airplanes is starting to be bought out, if you will. So it's going to be a tr- more of a trickle going forward. But both those airplanes, particularly the A350, they're quite incredible airplanes. My thanks to Mike Boyd, and now to the continuing and often painful subject of getting your money refunded from canceled flights due to the virus. My chat with attorney Nicholas Colson. Uh, but a lot of you have not been having a great time when it comes to something that's been topic A on this show 
for at least the last 12 weeks. And that is, you went out with all good intentions and purchased an airline ticket or a hotel or a tour or a cruise or a safari. Uh, you know, most of you did it way in advance to go out you know, sometime in March, April, May, June, or July of this year. And it didn't happen because of COVID-19. Uh, either the airline then canceled the flight or the country closed down or the hotel closed or all three of the above. I mean, it's just everything happened. It was a perfect storm. And many of you also bought insurance only to find out that was worthless because the insurance company never bothered to disclose when you bought it that they don't cover you for a pandemic. It wasn't exactly on page one of their website. Uh, and the airlines... Uh, and I've talked about this for weeks now. Uh, any airline that flies either to or through within the United States, if they cancel a flight under current and long existing Department of Transportation regulations and rules, you are entitled to a full refund to your original form of payment for whatever you paid for that ticket, even if it was one of those so-called non-refundable fares. And the airlines initially never volunteered that. Uh, second of all, they would then offer you vouchers, which were somewhat restrictive in terms of time or transferability. And as so many of you commented correctly, you can't pay your rent with a voucher. Uh, some airlines flatly refused to provide refunds in a clear violation of the DOT rule and tried to, behind, tried to hide behind laws of other countries like Canada and France and England. Uh, well, what are your re what's your recourse? Well, there are some things you can do, uh, ranging from, you know, disputing the charge on your credit card to, to uh, filing a uh, small claims court action. My next guest uh, ratcheted it up a little lar larger. Uh, he filed a class action case, and we're talking serious money here. And uh, Nicholas Colson, wel welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So give me the particulars here, because... It's not just one client here, and it's not just one airline. That's correct. So uh, my firm alone has filed uh, nationwide putative class action lawsuits against uh, a dozen airlines at this point. Uh, and there are, there are some other cases that have been filed by other firms uh, against some of the other airlines. And there are some talks about potentially having them all brought into one uh, mega case. But, but regardless of how they proceed, uh, every one of the, the major American carriers and many of the foreign carriers uh, are involved in these cases that have been filed seeking class action status. Now, the last time I looked, there are about 38 class actions out there, of which your firm's got about 12 of them, right? That's correct. And That's correct. And have the airlines responded at all? Uh, they've started responding in some of the uh, the cases other than mine. We have not had a response in any of our cases yet, but we're starting to get a look at what their defenses are going to look like. So one of the things that they're going to say uh, is that some of their own contracts of carriage, in their view, don't require them to, to give refunds. That's obviously uh, not our view of things. We think that that pretty clearly each of their own contracts of carriage being being drawn up in accordance with DOT guidance and DOT regulations do require them to issue refunds where they're unable to provide carriage uh, as they have been in these instances. And, now, for uh, many, for many of your clients, let me just ask you this. You heard my introduction where the airlines weren't even volunteering 
the, the knowledge of that that DOT rule initially, right? That's absolutely right. Uh, frankly, I, I, you, you stated it really succinctly. I think I might have to hire you to make my argument for me uh, in court because um, these DOT, DOT regulations do apply to, uh, to any flight that touches the United States. So if, if the itinerary includes a flight that is departing uh, from or arriving to the United States, that guidance, that longstanding DOT regulatory authority, uh, does govern. Now, what the airlines are going to say is, yeah, yeah, that, that's all fair. The, the government gets to tell us, you know, that we're in big trouble here. But you, Mr. Consumer, don't actually get to sue us because that's not part of the contract. And so that's going to be, you know, one of the major issues that's, that's at the heart of these cases. But uh, we wouldn't have filed them if we didn't think that we had the winning argument. For essentially, I would think, what, breach of contract? That's exactly right. In fact, breach of contract, uh, in our estimation, is the only claim that you can bring uh, against an airline because of uh, a federal statute called the Airline Deregulation Act. All right. So basically, when I buy my ticket uh, and there's a contract of carriage abbreviated on the back of it, part of that, and, and by the way, if you even look at Delta Airlines' contract of carriage, it specifically says in their contract of carriage that if they cancel the flight, not you, but if they cancel it, you get a full refund. So how do they have a leg to stand on by saying that it's not in their contract of carriage when it is? So I think you're going to see different responses from the different carriers based on their particular contracts of carriage. Uh, but what you'll see across the board is that most of the contracts of carriage are are drafted to fulfill the obligations that the airlines have under uh, the DOT and FAA guidance. And so there are a number of the same and similar provisions. And, and basically, in all instances, they say, as they're required to, that if we fail to provide you the transportation that you've paid for, you're entitled to a refund. I mean, that's the most basic element of any contract, right, is that if right. they don't hold up their end of the bargain, then you don't have to hold up your end of the bargain. And as you've observed, what the airlines have basically done here is, in addition to getting $25 billion in bailout money, uh, from the taxpayer, they've decided to take an involuntary uh, interest-free loan, you know, from their customers here who, who unwilling, unwittingly are, are participants in this. And then they don't even get paid back at the end of the day. They get uh, a voucher, which, as you've observed, a lot of people either don't have a use for or aren't going to feel comfortable using. Uh, and even in a perfect world, if coronavirus disappeared next week, you wouldn't want that money to be to be bound up in a particular airline. If you bought a, a ticket to go to Hawaii on Hawaiian Airlines uh, for March of this past year, who's to say that you couldn't get a much better deal by flying on Delta next year? So this really is something that you know people are infuriated because they've been given something against their will that they don't feel like they can use. Okay, I got to ask the big bad question: the legal precedent for your case. So. I mean, in general, this is an unprecedented event in, in scope in modern history, right? This level of cancellation of anything. Um, but the law is really clear. I mean, these are straightforward legal theories that we're advancing here. And breach of contract is breach of contract. You have to have the formation of a contract. And then if the terms of that contract are not met by one party or the other, uh, then they are in breach. And so it, then it becomes a question of what the remedies are. And, and what we're going to be seeking here, obviously, is the repayment of this money to these people. 
that, that the airlines, we believe, have, have wrongfully withheld, whether, you know, it's, as you noted, some of the companies that are just blanket across the board, absolutely refusing and saying, no, we're not going to do this, uh, or some of the companies that are doing it a little bit more subtly, where they're just making it so impossible to get in touch with anyone to request a refund that it's a functional you know, denial of, of that right. All right. Now, stupid question number two, I become a member of this class action as a, as a plaintiff. Uh, how long am I going to have to wait for this case to even be heard? It's impossible to say uh, in the legal system. So the way that it works is that you don't have to take any affirmative steps. If there's a class action file on your behalf, you don't have to take any affirmative steps to be a member of the class. It'll be up to the court to decide whether to certify the case as a class action. Uh, and then you'll get notice with an opportunity to opt out of the class if you don't want to stay in it. Uh, but typically, these things can take, you know, a number of years to work their way through the court system. We wish there was a faster way uh, for it to happen, but oftentimes there isn't. But as a practical matter, it often comes down to the defendant's willingness to, uh, at the end of the day, start to do what's right and resolve the case. And that remains to be seen whether it'll be it'll happen here. Um, but obviously, you know, this isn't just, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not just a legal issue for the airlines. It's also a PR and, and a business issue for them. Sure. Uh, and they're going to have to take that into account that, that there are a lot of people here who are going to expect to be made whole at the end of the day uh, and are not going to be happy to return to these airlines who they feel like have absolutely ripped them off. Well, another stupid question here. While I'm waiting for this case to be heard and if, if the airline gave me a voucher that I can't use, that voucher could expire before the case ever gets to trial. That's absolutely true. I mean, in many instances, these airlines are issuing vouchers that expire the date uh, of one year from the original booking. So if right. you booked six months in advance for a flight in March, you're looking at a September expiration. Yeah. Um, so it, it really is just it, it illustrates the preposterous nature of what they've tried to do here. You know, they, they're making the argument that they're cash-strapped and they're doing the best that they can and all of these things. If that was really true, you wouldn't see these short-term explorations on these things yeah. where basically they're, they're just hoping to run out the clock on their liability is, is what it looks like. Thanks, Nicholas. We may be waiting for a while. Now, let's admit it. You hated the middle seat before the pandemic. And what about now? Gary left. From viewfromthewing.com has the report. Joining us now, he's become almost a regular on the show. He writes a wonderful website called viewfromthewing.com. Our good pal, Gary Leff, how are you, sir? Hey there, Peter. I am doing really well. Good to talk to you. You know, there's so much going on. We talked about this earlier on the show. Uh, the dreaded middle seat. It's finally coming to light that, you know, Airlines have middle seats on the planes because they want to sell them. <laughs> you know, what a surprise. I mean, we have short memories. Only five months ago, I was sitting in one, and so were you. Um, and But people are a little freaked out. And what I try to tell everybody is that, you know, you do have some airlines now that are being, you know, very upfront about it, saying, nope, we're booking them. American's doing that. United's doing that. There are other airlines like Delta and Southwest saying, no, we're going to keep blocking them until September 30th. But it doesn't change the measurements. You know, the actual separation between the window and the aisle, if you're sitting in one of those two seats between you and the seat and the guy next to you in the other seat, is only about 30 inches. That's two and a half feet. That's not six feet. And that measurement's not going to change. And it also doesn't take into account the about 14 inches of space between you and the guy behind you who just sneezed. So 
Is there really an issue here? Well, so, I mean, the biggest issue, I, I do believe, and this is why Delta and Southwest and JetBlue are bo- blocking the middle seats, is they're trying to give people, you know, confidence to travel. And they're not filling their planes anyway. They've got a lot of planes grounded. They might as well add more flights because they're paying their employees anyway because they've gotten federal government money from the CARES Act to do that. It doesn't cost that much more. So they're leaving the seat empty because it does keep people confidence, gives people more value. United's uh, United CEO Scott Kirby the other day said that it was an easy uh, scientific decision not to block the middle seat, but that it was a very tough marketing decision not to do it, right? Because people are concerned to fly, and the marketing does matter as people get that comfort level coming back. For me, the biggest thing about flying right now is there's never been anything as scrutinized or as researched as quickly as uh, COVID-19 has been over the last six months. And we've tracked down where cases are happening. You know, we find them in choirs and in telephone call centers and all, you know, in bars, but we haven't tracked cases spreading on planes. People get on planes who've had the virus and travel from one place to another and bring it with them. But we haven't seen a lot of the spread of the virus on planes. And, and that probably has to do with the you know, really good air filtration that traps virus. It doesn't help you if you're right next to that person, but you know, it just hasn't been an area that's been a you know, focal point for actual spread. So it's pretty safe on the plane, but the people are still concerned. You know, it's interesting. We talk about space on a plane regardless of a COVID-19 situation. And I look to Italy where I see that they're now trying to ban the use of overhead bins. What's that? Yeah, well, look, in fairness, they think that people bunch up in the aisles and get closer to each other when they're putting their stuff away, uh, when they're taking it down out of the overhead bins. And so it's going to be better for social distancing if people aren't carrying anything on. I'm not too comfortable with this because I, I feel like it's going to be more time in the airport. You've got to show up earlier to check the bag, and then you've got to wait for your bag at baggage claim. And that time in the airport you know, is time where I'm less comfortable than I am on the plane because of the good air filtration on the plane. Uh, so I don't like it, but the theory is about people bunching up together when you have them uh, with their with their carry-ons. You know, I, yeah, me, I, I think, think this is a little bit of I think it's a little bit of overkill here because. Given the accountant's mentality at some airlines, that leads me to believe that they're going to want to keep that rule in place using COVID-19 as an excuse to make you pay another fee. Yeah, well, well you, still, you, do have to, you do have to pay for your check bags, um, you know, and, and it means boarding faster and getting off planes faster, which is more efficient for the airline. So if everyone does it and everyone keeps it, then I think you're right. It lasts beyond. I mean, all, all new restrictions usually do. But, you know, I'll tell you, I think if there's one piece of advice for readers who are traveling, and Peter, I think you may have taught me this a few years ago, um, because I didn't know this until a couple of years ago, but, you know, the airlines may not all be blocking that middle seat, but you can buy an extra seat. And, you know, it, it, the, some airlines require people who are of size to do it, but uh, for the most part, I mean, American Airlines says they have no restrictions on who can. And when they have those really cheap, you know, $49 fares, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it may not be the worst idea to give yourself the extra space and comfort. And then you can talk to your imaginary friend. <laughs> <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. 
Hey, by the well, way, you know, speaking we, speaking yeah. of physical distance here, let's go out to the airport for a second before we even get to the plane. If you're going to be practicing social distancing, and this is a holiday weekend, so the number of people that the TSA are going to screen will probably top 700,000. Um, it's been inching that way for a while. Uh, and put that put that in perspective, one day in April, it was as low as 80,000, um, when at the same time last year it was 2.4 million, and the same time this year, last year, over a holiday week, it was almost about 2.7, 2.8 million. So we're still at around 20, 25% of capacity. But even then, practicing social distancing at the airport just to go through the security line means you're standing six feet behind somebody else who's standing six feet behind you, et cetera, et cetera. Airports were not designed for that kind of space. And when we get back to 70, 80% load factors, those lines will stretch a mile and a half if they don't figure something out. Yeah, I mean, the airports weren't designed to do the kind of security that we asked them to do after 9-11. There aren't very many that were built. Fort Myers is about the only one that comes to mind where you, know, you go in and they really built it with the security in mind, which is why in so many places you'd even have to you know, check your bags in and then carry it over to security somewhere else before they get checked. Um, so, no, the airports haven't been built uh, to do what we're asking them to do. You know, there are so many reasons we just really need this to be um, uh, over <laughs> as soon as we can, uh, because to really adjust our infrastructure uh, over time is uh, an undertaking we're not prepared for. No, and you know what? And now the airlines are asking the TSA to do the temperature checks, which is going to slow those lines down even more. It, it will, and that's another thing that I suspect doesn't go away after uh, coronavirus is over. Uh, you know, people show up at the airport with a fever having nothing to do with COVID, or they show up at the airport with COVID and a fever when they may no longer be um, uh, infectious. And there's pre-symptomatic spread where you may be spreading the virus when you don't have a fever. It's unclear. The TSA themselves says, you know, look, we don't think this is the uh, highest priority or best way of stopping the spread of the virus. Um, it kind of just distracts from their security mission, so I worry a little about layering that on. Um, you know, we want to do everything we can to uh, ensure that the skies are safe, but I'm I, I, I not sure that that's at the top of the list, uh, or ought to be, even though the airlines are asking for it. And the reason why the airlines are asking for it is because they don't want to pay for it. They want the government <laughs> to... Of course. They want the government to do it, and these are not exactly medical professionals doing the testing. So, you know, unless it's a no-brainer t- thermometer... I would actually question some of the results. Well, and the TSA hasn't actually been known for maintaining their equipment very well. Uh, so you know, worry, I do worry about people who get turned away. And for that matter, where the airlines offer to refund tickets if you get turned away by the TSA uh, for your temperature, I worry about making people go down to the airport when they have a fever in order to get their <laughs> money back. And I left you on a, on a cliffhanger. Rats. Rats at the airport. I have to talk about it. Gary, help me out. (laughs) (laughs) So I I should say that uh, Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport um, says that this video wasn't taken there. Uh, The person who posted it to social social media said that their video was taken at the Paris airport where there were rats crawling around a case of food. Um, And I said, gosh, 
you know, one of the things that we've certainly seen as everyone's you know, stayed at home is that you know, a, a change not for just for us, but for other creatures as well. The rats that used to dwell in restaurants don't have uh, that to feed on anymore. So they're looking for an upgrade. <laughs> well, I don't know if you call food at the airport an upgrade, but uh, you know, they've got to go somewhere. And somewhere, you know, at least the person who posted this video to social media said that that somewhere was Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport as this rat's crawling around. Now, air, rats are nothing new at airports. Uh, about you know, so many years ago, the uh, United Club that's underground at Washington Dulles uh, had, you know, had rats. And we've seen that at many health department inspections of airline clubs. It's certainly not a first. Um, but... Uh, the, the the current travel crisis seems to have affected not just humans. Well, you know what? We had, of course, the famous video in New York of Pizza Rat grabbing that slice of pizza, taking it down the stairs. Now, if you go to Paris, you can have croissant rat. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Meat on a stick. Uh, oh, please. Ta- and then, of course, the, the next line has to be, tastes just like chicken. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> hey, you did a piece the other day that I thought was one of those great pieces that comes out of nowhere about a guy who's a multimillionaire and what is he doing for kicks? Uh, doing baggage handling out of Salt Lake City for uh, Delta or one of their regional carriers. He's a politician. He's a, uh, uh, he's a uh, prosecuting attorney uh, and he's running for higher office but you know, he makes about eight and a half bucks an hour uh, driving, uh, driving a tug on the ramp and he does it for the free flight benefits for his family. And and this man, by the way, is worth somewhere on the order of $20, $30 million. <laughs> so when nobody's looking, he's uh, he's he's hauling bags. Well, and the media is looking. He says, you know, he he meets his minimum hours, uh, you know, evenings and weekends, which you know, he's he's doing it for travel with his family, but he's taking these hours away from his family uh, to do it because he he just loves the free flights that he can take with his family, which, you know, frankly, in a world once, uh, you know, once we have, we're up and traveling more internationally again, we're expecting a lot more empty seats. Those non-rev seats may become a lot more valuable and a lot easier to get. So he'll be able to do it up in business class, uh, saving quite a lot. Although, let's put this in perspective, just this week, American Airlines announced they they were cutting their international routes by 25%, the international long-haul routes. Yeah, and that's for next year. I mean, right now, they're only at about 25% of what they were, and Americans International isn't nearly as substantial as United's or Delta's to begin with. But they're saying that in the future, they expect international demand for them to be materially lower even after the coronavirus pandemic uh, passes. So that's the big airlines all. And American has retired their 757s and their 767s, and they've retired or parked uh, the Airbus A330s as well. So they've got fewer of those long-haul planes, even though they still have 787s on order. uh, They're just preparing to be a smaller international airline going forward. By the way, speaking of grounding flights or grounding planes, every airline's doing it. They're dumping them. Uh, Qantas has retired all their 747s. They've parked all their A380s, which may not come back. Lufthansa has grounded all their A380s. They're not coming back. Air France flew their last A380 flight about 10 days ago, so they're not coming back. Uh, 
it goes on and on and on, right? And there's no secondary market out there for these planes. So they're either going to be sitting in the desert somewhere or they'll be sold for parts. Sure. If you've got a Boeing 767, right, you can, that'll go to a cargo carrier. Amazon will buy them, right? But for some of these other planes and the bigger ones uh, that aren't as good for cargo, the interesting thing about the Qantas A380s is that they're going to be sitting parked for years in the desert in California, so the Australian airline, I would have thought that in the Australian outback, there's perfect uh, temperatures uh, to park an A380, but apparently you know, they want to send them to California. Well, we all want to go to California. Problem is, I, I also <laughs> live in California, and I haven't been back since February, so maybe I can go move into an A380. <laughs> well, I, I, we, we've seen some smaller aircraft that have been converted to oh, yeah. you know, homes and restaurants. You know what? Right. There's a 727 in Costa Rica that's a hotel. There's one in uh, in Idaho. Uh, there's a 747 that's now a hostel in in and uh, I think in Stockholm. Uh, it's it's crazy, and and, and I'm I'm not surprised. Yeah, look, and it's a whole lot cheaper if you don't need the engines. I mean, that's a big part of the expense. So an Airbus A380, which you know may not have much of a future outside of Emirates for a while because they have so many of them. Uh, you know, it's going to have a very limited future. Uh, the Emirates is even trying to get out of the you know, remaining orders that they have with Airbus. So, uh, that's a plane that we're not going to see a lot of anymore. My thanks to Gary Leff, Nicholas Colson, and Mike Boyd. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more interviews of the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this Ion Travel podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. You can also go to petergreenberg.com for the latest in travel news updates. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.